The following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Um, we're going to turn to God's Word now. So grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15. And Louise is reading Luke chapter 15 for us. Uh, so let me hand to Louise and then Toby's going to be preaching for us. Um, so it's on page 1048 in the church. Starting at verse 1. I think. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need to repent. Parable of the Lost Coin Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thanks so much, Louise. Um, Good evening, everyone. Great to see you. My name's Toby. Uh, Really good to be here with you tonight. Um, we are going to spend the next few minutes uh, having a closer look at those parables that Louise just read for us. Um, so let's pray before we get into that together. Father, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. We praise you for the gift of your word. We praise you for Jesus, for his teaching, uh, for his life and action. We praise you for all that, they, uh, all that he shows us about um, who you are. Uh, Lord, please give us ears that are, are ready and willing to hear what you want to say to us tonight by your Spirit, through your Word. Pray that you be at work in each of us now. Um, so we commit ourselves and this time to you. Amen. Amen. Um, when someone is a child, uh, if they're lucky enough to have parents and parents who love them, the, for them, the love of their parents is is the best thing. Um, it's, it feels like it's more than enough to fill uh, a little heart, and it seems to help provide all a child needs to form their sense of identity, to form confidence, uh, to be a solid foundation for their life. Um, it seems to provide all the child needs to be satisfied, uh, and seems to be all that they need to equip them to face what... Um, the world is, is presenting them with at that point. Then that child grows up a little bit and they realize that as good as their parents' love is, it's not quite enough. And they start to look for something else and they look for friends. Um, and they find some. And for a while, the combination of parents' love and friends uh, feels like it might be all that they need. 
then that child becomes, grows up a bit more, becomes a teenager. And it feels like parents' love, the friends' love, isn't not quite enough again. Um, they long for something more. They long for romantic love. And it feels like this, this could be the thing. When, when they find romantic love, this is going to be what they've been longing for and looking for all this time. Parents' love was great, but isn't quite enough to satisfy and be all that they need. Friend, the love of friends, great, but not quite enough. But romantic love, this is going to be it. And they might find it, this person. They might not. Um, whether they do or they don't, eventually, uh, everyone realizes that even this, as good as it, as it is, is not enough. That none of these human loves, on their own, provide a solid enough foundation for human life and for identity and for fulfillment. Everyone, at some point, finds themselves longing for something more. And that's because, though all of those loves are great gifts from God, human beings are created for a greater love. Each of us are created for a greater love. The love that we were made for is the love of the God who made us. And we find this love of God in Jesus, in his death for us on the cross. And when we find that love, that is when we realize we found the one that we were looking for. The one who knows us completely and yet loves us more than we can imagine and will never stop. A few weeks ago, we finished series uh, all about the love of God for us. And now we're in the middle of a new series um, exploring some of the parables of Jesus in Luke's Gospel, some of the stories that Jesus told, that the Son of God, God himself, told uh, while he was on this earth with us as a human being. Stories he told to teach us, challenge us, to encourage us, to reveal more of himself and his Father to us. The love of God for us is probably one of the easiest things in the world to doubt. As soon as we, as soon as we take our eyes away from, from it, away from God, away from the cross, we begin to question. And wonderfully, these two parables providentially uh, provide a great opportunity for us to double-check um, what, we what I've just been talking about, what we explored a few weeks ago. Are we right to understand the, the love of God and the cross in that way? Is that really what God is like? Is the same God revealed in the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus before he went to the cross as we think is revealed at the cross? Is it the same God? Is there consistency there? So let's listen in to these two parables um, and find out. We're going to first we'll set the scene, then we'll explore the two parables, and then we'll explore uh, a bit about how those parables might apply to our lives. So firstly, scene, what's going on? First one, chapter 15. Now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners are gathering around Jesus uh, to listen to him. Who are these people who are tax collectors and sinners? Sinners here in Luke's Gospel means the, the kind of obvious sinners of that society. 
Jesus makes really clear elsewhere um, that actually every human being is a sinner. Every human being can be categorized that way. No one can say that they have always made the selfless, God-focused choice. Um, Everyone has made a moral mess of their lives in some form. No one lives for God in the way that they ought to. But here, in this part of his gospel, Luke is referring to people who live kind of obviously immoral lives that it would have been easy for the others in that society to see. Um, prostitutes are mentioned in another part of, uh, in elsewhere, in another passage, as a sort of part of this crowd that are gathering around Jesus to listen to what he has to say. Tax collectors here are another example that Luke gives. Um, the tax collectors he means are, would, would have been Jews, people, uh, Jewish people who were collecting money from their own people to give to the occupying force, the Romans, and therefore people who were despised by, uh, by their own people. So that's one group in the scene, one group that's gathering around Jesus to listen to what he's saying and sinners. Another group is mentioned in verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the Pharisees, teachers of the law, are seeing this happening and they're muttering about it. Who are these people? Um, why are they saying what they're saying? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are um, groups of, apparently, holy people uh, in that society. They were, they were some of the religious leaders who took pride in knowing and teaching others about uh, the Jewish scriptures. Why are they muttering? Um, because according to them, Jesus is behaving scandalous. In their mind, anyone who's claiming to speak for God shouldn't be seen dead associating with sinners, with this crowd. They certainly wouldn't. Although elsewhere, Jesus makes pretty clear to them that um, they're actually really hypocritical. These Pharisees and religious leaders, teachers of the law, considered themselves to be pretty holy, morally pure. Um, and for them, this crowd, th- these people weren't. These people uh, were not holy, certainly were not morally pure, and they should be rejected, according to the Pharisees of the law. But here Jesus is, hanging out with these sinners. And not just talking briefly to them and moving on, but he's lingering with them. He's eating with them. He's truly being with and associating himself with them. And the religious leaders are confused and not happy. So that's the scene. And then Jesus hears these religious leaders muttering. And he tells them these two stories in response. So let's have a look. The first one. Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Who's them? Who's he talking to? Well, it is certainly the religious leaders, but we've got to keep in mind that the crowd would have been there too. This is also the sinners. Um, They're also listening to these stories, and Jesus is talking to them as well. So verse 4. Here's the story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So there's a shepherd with a hundred sheep and he realizes after counting them at the end of the day that one of them is lost. 
there's only 99. One is missing. And despite the risk of leaving the 99, um, which Jesus really emphasizes, he called it uh, open, the open country, um, there in verse 4, um, i.e. not sheltered, um, sort of other dangerous animals would have been around, these, ship, these um, sheep might have been at risk from. Despite that, despite the danger potential, the shepherd goes off in search of the one that is missing. And he says it like it's obvious. He says it like, which of you wouldn't do this? Jesus, this is the obvious way to behave. So the shepherd searches and searches for this lost sheep until he finds it. Which wouldn't have been easy for the shepherd. Um, This would have been sort of difficult terrain, hills, valleys, um, climbing high and low, looking for one sheep in a sort of vast and undulating landscape. Um, Not easy, but the shepherd goes for it and and keeps going. And then verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. When he finally finds his sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, joyful. Jesus makes the point of saying that. The shepherd is joyful. Even after all this time uh, of sort of fighting through this wilderness, looking for the sheep, um, he's not huffy. He doesn't berate the sheep. Um, he's, he's joyful. And he, he carries it. He puts it on his shoulders. He doesn't sort of force it to walk in front of him um, all the way back to Pendleton before he's done. He, he, he carries it. He carries the sheep home. Verse 6. And, and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He takes it home. Together they go home. The sheep goes from, from being lost in the wilderness to being home again, safe and secure. And when they get back, shepherd, again, he doesn't slump down, kind of annoyed that he had, had to spend so long looking for this one silly sheep. He's overjoyed, Jesus says. He's so happy that he's found this sheep. And so happy that he can't keep it to himself. He has to share this joy with all his friends and his neighbors. He calls them together to celebrate. He says, rejoice with me. Uh, this is amazing. This incredible thing has happened. I found my sheep. So that's the story. And then, verse 7, Jesus explains this story and what it means. I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, in the same way, Jesus is drawing direct parallels here. Uh, this isn't supposed to be a, a difficult story to understand. Um, he's, he's wanting us to draw the lines. Uh, so sheep are, are people. Um, the lost sheep is a sinner like you and me, someone who has wandered off from God uh, and the way God wants them to live. Jesus is the shepherd. He doesn't say, good riddance, serves you right, got better things to do. But instead goes after the sinner because they're of value to him. And he searches high and low. And the lost sinner sheep is off wandering, maybe getting tangled, um, wool getting caught in bushes, uh, a bit miserable at points, occasionally maybe wandering about home, but still willfully, deliberately going their own way. But in the middle of their rebellion, 
and their lostness. Jesus is seeking, coming after, looking, looking, looking. And then when he finds this lost person, and they repent and turn to him to receive the rescue that he has brought them, carries them home. And when they're home, the sinner who's repented isn't received with a raised eyebrow and an I told you so attitude by God, but with rejoicing. And that, that is incredible. That is, is an amazing response on God's part when you consider he's a holy God. Um, sin is incredibly serious. And yet he rejoices when a sinner comes back. Jesus says, here, there is more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over uh, any number of people who, who didn't need to repent. And we would definitely naturally view it the other way around, wouldn't we? We would assume it would be the other way around. So God would be far more excited about the people who didn't reject him in the first place. Not that there are actually any such people. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says there's actual joyful rejoicing and celebrating in heaven when a sinner says sorry to God and comes back home. Can you imagine what God celebrating must be like? The God who made the universe. What it must be like for him to celebrate. That's what goes on in heaven. All of this, Jesus is saying to tax collectors, to sinners, and to the religious leaders that are gathered around. And he's saying it as his explanation for his behavior, remember. He's saying, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I'm spending my time with this crowd of people, with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He is their shepherd. They are lost. He is seeking them. Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He really, really wants to emphasize this point. He really wants them to get this. Uh, so let's have a look at his second story, second parable, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Sort of a side note, it's uh, I think important to note um, that Jesus wasn't afraid to use a woman as the main character in this story, um, as, as the God character, as, as sort of himself character, um, which says a lot about how highly Jesus viewed women which would have been in stark, stark contrast to many people at the time. Um, that's really important to notice. This time, uh, the woman who has ten silver coins, and she loses one. This is probably all the money that she has, um, and each coin is probably worth about a day's wages. Uh, so we're talking about a, a tenth of all she has, and she loses it. And it is an awful thing, isn't it? When you realize suddenly that you've lost something that is of value to you. I remember um, I lost a little Pikachu toy when I was about seven. Uh, anyone know Pikachu? Pokemon? Yeah? Some nod. No, I'm shaking your head. Um, that's fine. Not important. But a little toy I had when I was seven. I was very attached to this toy. And I was running around in the woods. And somehow it must have flown out of my pocket and landed somewhere in the leaves. And my dad and I searched for it for what felt like hours. And there were many tears. Um, and we never found it. And that, that hurt. And I don't know if I've completely got over that. Um, 
But it was hard. That, that is the feeling that Jesus wants us to have in our minds, the sort of desperate searching. Um, if you lose a pen, then you're not going to be too bothered. You're not going to be very emotionally invested in finding that pen. Um, you might look for it for a second, but you'll give up and you'll grab another one. But if you lose something of real value to you, um, so your phone or your wallet, um, you realize that something like that is missing. You don't just shrug your shoulders and think, ah, oh, well. You, you drop everything. And you can't continue with your day until you've found what it is you've realized that you've lost. And the woman in this story that Jesus is telling is exactly the same. Her mind is instantly filling with all the consequences of not finding this coin. She stops what she's doing. She lights a lamp, Jesus says. She sweeps the house. Jesus says she, she searches diligently, carefully, painstakingly. Till she finds, she's determined to find this coin. She's not going to give up. And then, verse 9, the relief when she finds it. That is an incredible feeling, isn't it? When all that stress melts away. You found it. It's all right. That is the feeling Jesus wants us to imagine. He wants us to have that in our minds. She's filled with happiness and relief when she finds her lost coin. And again, she calls everyone together to rejoice. She wants to share her joy. Verse 9, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. She wants to share her joy. Jesus, again, explains this story. And he does so in, in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the same way, he says, again, he's not hiding the meaning. He wants it to be really clear. He wants us to draw those direct parallels. Jesus is the woman searching. The tax collectors, the sinners, you and I, we are the coin that is lost. Except we weren't accidentally lost. We chose to be lost. We, we tried to get away, to hide ourselves in, in some dark corner. But we are also the coin that is of value to God himself so that he sweeps high and low, searches diligently, and rejoices when he finds us. Jesus rejo- There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. It's even more clear this time that God is the one who's rejoicing. There's the angels, and in their presence there is rejoicing. Again, Jesus is emphasizing so clearly here that the joy that's created is by one sinner who repents, just one human being. God is this concerned with individuals. Why? Why? Because he chooses to have human beings matter to him this much. So those are the two stories. Let's, let's think just quickly about applying. What, what do they mean for us? Well, firstly, the question we asked right at the beginning, does what Jesus is saying here match up with our understanding of the cross and the love of God? I think that's got to be a resounding yes, hasn't it? The God who would leave the 99 and go after the one who would search diligently and not give up, who would rejoice and throw a party when he finds them, is exactly the same kind of God 
who would give himself to death on a cross to rescue sinful humans because he loved them. That, that is the God who would hang out with sinners when he's on earth and scandalize the religious leaders. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Same God. Put yourself in the, in the crowd of sinners listening in for a second. How do you think this crowd would have been feeling? They listened to Jesus explaining these parables and telling these stories. These people who have been rejected and given up on by respectable society because of the choices they've made, by the religious establishment, these people who have probably given up on themselves, would have totally assumed that they were rejected by God. Now they're hearing this. Can you imagine what would have been happening in their hearts? The hope that would have been kindled. How do you think the Pharisees and religious leaders would have been feeling? Probably a mixture of some, but, but many of them would have just outraged. God only loves those who live good lives, surely. If you choose to make a mess of your life, don't expect God to do anything for you. You deserve what you get. That's what they would have been thinking, presumably. Surely God can't love as extravagantly as this. How do you feel listening to these stories? If you're a Christian, do you believe that Jesus searched for you because he cares for you? And that God and heaven rejoiced when he found you? Do you believe that he died for you because you mattered to him? Secondly, do you believe that he will keep coming after you and bringing you back every time you wander off? Every time you fall into sin? Every time you take your eyes off him, start walking towards something else? Every time your faith fails? The nature of our sin means that we are like this sheep, we are prone to wonder. And even though when Jesus first finds us and we become Christians, our hearts start to change and we are given his spirit and we can fight sin, our sinful instincts remain and constantly war against us. We remain wandering sheep, slowly learning, but prone to wander off again. But the shepherd who found us the first time, same shepherd who comes after us, brings us back time after time. time. We are safe in his care. His heart towards us will not change. Love wouldn't be love. It was a one-time thing. It would be so bizarre if it did change, wouldn't it? If he said to the sheep, this is your one chance, next time you're on your own. No, the, the shepherd who rejoices and throws a party when he finds his sheep. The woman who rejoices and throws a party when she finds a boy wouldn't do that. Jesus remains the good shepherd who loves his sheep and comes after them every time they stray. Slowly, slowly, helping them to learn to trust his care and trust his love. It's his relentless coming after them that teaches them that he really does love them and he really does care for them. And the more the sheep learn to trust his love and care, the less they want to stray. That's how it works.
this is certainly who Jesus has been in my own experience. I, I have frequently taken my eyes off Jesus and wandered off. I've come close more than once to deciding to walk away completely. But every time, often in very normal ways, sometimes in some remarkable ways, Jesus has come up and found me and taken hold of me, gently led me back. And slowly, slowly, I'm learning that he really does love me. And he really isn't going anywhere. And I really can't blow it badly enough for him to give up on me. Despite all that's gone before, despite all I continue to his love and forgiveness and presence in my life remains constant. And the more I believe that, the more I want to follow him and the less I want to disobey him. Lastly, who, who are the, the sinners that we might see Jesus associating with if he was uh, on earth physically now? Who are the groups of people? What are the groups of people that we in the church might be scandalized to see him hanging out with now? And are we willing to associate with those groups of people? If we want to follow him, then we need to be willing to go to the people and the places that he went, he would go. Be like our shepherds. Should we pray? Let's pray. Let's thank God for these things and ask for his help. Oh God, we praise you for who you are. We praise you um, that you always defy our expectations, that you are far more full of grace than we assume you will be every time. We praise you for the life you led on earth, Jesus. We praise you for the death that you died. We praise you that you are the same God now in heaven. Help us, Lord, to believe these things, that you are the God who searches for us, who rejoices when he finds us. Help us to know that we are safe in your care. Help us to really believe that and rest and relax in your care. And God, help us to value people in the way that you do, See them the way that you do. No one is too far from you. And help us to go to them like you did. Help us to seek and search. And Lord, to know that as, as we do that as your people, you are, you are the one doing the seeking and the searching in us. Thank you, Lord, that you continue that work today all over this world. You are seeking and searching and finding the Lord. We praise you. Amen.